Hey everyone, it's Gabby and Danny and Manny and you're listening to Oye, Let's Talk. Welcome back everyone. We're bringing up a topic that you can't exactly talk about at your dinner table. Politics, you know, probably not the best idea, but we're here to educate you about our new administration's first 100 days. We're in a new era during a global pandemic. So what does that mean? And why do, do these first 100 days matter? ¿Qué es eso? Ay, ¿Qué es eso de política que habla usted? Bueno, bueno. So when a new president takes office, why are the first 100 days looked at so thoroughly? It's because for a president, his or her first 100 days are always important just because it kind of defines their priorities and the direction that they want to head toward the next four years. Um, AP says that 28 promises were kept of the 61 goals during the span of those 100 days um, for Biden. And we will delve into these kept promises. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with the administration's response to the pandemic. And in Biden's first 100 days, he was able to administer over 220 million doses Um, he started a federal retail pharmacy program that turned pharmacies into local vaccination sites. And he's pledged up to $4 billion to COVAX, which is an international organization helping COVID responses around the world. And I want to take this episode and be able to not only talk about the successes that the administration has had, but also ways that it could have been better. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just a personal qualm of mine, and you guys can weigh in. I think the administration could have done a better job of doing a outreach program, a federal one. And I understand that at first the biggest problem was even having a vaccine and then, you know, get ramping up the production and distributing that, which the administration had been very successful on. But now the administration has reached this peak, which everyone saw coming, where people are very hesitant. We see the vaccination rate slowing down, and I wish... Now they will start, hopefully, outreach programs, but I think outreach programs should have started at the way beginning, you know, doing public campaigns on the efficacy of the vaccine, how well it works, having public officials, public celebrities, um, and having a, a better, um, um, a more robust response into promoting the vaccine. I think they've lacked in that aspect. I will say really quickly that, Since Trump's administration, when the pandemic hit, it's been left to each state's discretion in terms of how they want to distribute the vaccines and how they want to take care of its people, so to speak. So that's kind of been a controversy that I've been seeing back and forth, which is like, how much should the federal government step in and how much should it be the state's agenda? Because, for example, in Maryland, that's the state that I currently live in. Their rollout plan has been very, very organized from the beginning, at least since I've moved here last year. And they've had programs where they reach out to minority groups like Hispanics. Um, and I don't I don't think that's the case everywhere, like what you're saying, Manny, but I do think it is the case in some states. And wholeheartedly, it is a lot of the response has been left to state governments. But at the end of the day, I feel like the federal government could have still done an outreach program. They have plenty of resources and money to put on a public campaign to help out those states that are not doing enough or who have, don't have the resources to have an outreach program like that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what it is is that the 
administration in my eyes went in saying we need to tackle the pandemic, but they didn't think about building trust in the vaccine or what would happen after that plateau happened. And that's what is what we're seeing right now is how do you convince people who don't want it to get it? Mm-hmm. And that's what that's kind of like the dish that they've been served. So in the first 100 days of the Biden administration, in less than 60, they reached a lot of their vaccination goals, but it's going to be difficult. He set a new one by Independence Day, July 4th, to have 70% of people with at least one shot in all of the country. So we'll see as he approaches that if that will happen, but it's going to be a lot harder to get to than the first 100 million shots in 100 days, which he did achieve in less than 60. Another topic I want to get into is his infrastructure plan and kind of the messaging that goes along with it. So right now there's about a $2.2 trillion bill that Biden is really pushing for to improve railroads, to improve buildings, bridges, basically access to all the different parts um, or how to reach all the different states, which is very interesting because I've never particularly in my lifetime heard anyone prioritize this. So he clearly thinks it's a big deal if he's trying to push another $2 trillion into this idea. And for perspective, they just spent that much giving people stimulus checks for the pandemic too. But the key here is the messaging behind it. He's kind of putting it as like a climate change plan too, and then also his tax plan because he says to pay for this $2.2 trillion infrastructure plan, he wants to tax top earners. And if you're a little scared about raising taxes, hold your horses. It's for people who make more than $400,000 a year. And for perspective, that's probably about like quadruple the average US salary. Sounds like it. You said so many numbers and I'm like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I could not fathom. Like I cannot go to the bank and be like, can you show me what $2 trillion looks like? Like how many zeros is that? What percent of of the population is that even? Like less than 5%? 1.8. 1.8%? Of taxpayers. Yeah. So less than 2% of people will probably be impacted by this. But personally, again, I don't make that money. So I'm not sure if it would really hurt me in the pocket. But I'm sure their wallets will still stay thick. Gabby, I think you said it eloquently that the way that he's been pitching this has been pretty pretty cool. You know, tackling climate, tackling uh, infra- crumbling infrastructure, physical infrastructure, um, helping workforce transition into that green job. And also, um, he's, he's, he talks about the infrastructure of American families. He wants to make universal pre, um, pre-kindergarten free by investing over $200 billion in that and making the country's first national paid leave and medical leave program, $225 billion into that. And it's pretty crazy that right now the government does not require companies for you to have paid family leave, which is a standard across several developed countries. Mm -hmm. So it's even crazy that that's not a thing. And it's even it just shows you, as um, Danny was saying at the beginning, you know, him introducing this within his first 100 days really tells you what he's trying to tackle climate. He's trying to tackle social injustices. He's trying to you know, better the lives of most Americans. 
I wanted to talk about immigration a little bit just because that's always a hot topic. And he's done a lot, but not enough. What he has accomplished so far, he sent Congress a new immigration bill reform. Um, he's taken steps to reunite separated migrant families, ended the travel ban for Muslim-majority countries. He's halted the border wall construction. But he said he would increase training and accountability for immigration agents and hasn't really done that yet, or there's no real plan in motion yet. He also said he wanted to protect immigrants who served in the U.S. military from deportation, reform the asylum system, review the temporary protected status for vulnerable immigrants, and freeze deportations, all of which he hasn't done yet. So there's still a lot to be done. Yeah, and I'm just going to touch on the DACA topic. Mm -hmm. We're still waiting on that. That was just a huge campaign rally or something. I would argue like a party issue. For the democrats and i definitely haven't really seen a lot in motion there it's been a lot of talk not a lot of action and i understand because at the end of the day he's not whipping out executive orders left and right he's leaving lawmakers who were voted in by their constituents to go ahead and approve these bills and these plans but there's a democratic majority on both sides right now in the house and in the senate so there needs to i think for an issue that was touted, not just on the campaign trail, but from the Democratic Party as a whole, when we had all those options as presidential candidates. Um, I don't know, just coming up short for me. I just don't know a better way to say it. Gabby, how does that work when you say DACA is kind of on hold? Does that mean that those who are DACA recipients can't renew and those who want to can't apply for it? Or or what does that mean? They're in limbo. Now, so he did roll back a little bit some Trump era um, moves or decisions, I guess you can say. So people can apply for it. There are new applicants. Um, a lot of it is kind of going back to what Obama first signed in. But he said that he was going to provide a path for citizenship or lay out like more than just undocumented youth because there is very specific types of people that can apply for DACA. So mm-hmm. for those who don't know, that's deferred action for childhood arrivals. And there seemed to be a lot of motion within it. Um, his first month or two, I guess, in the in his administration, but haven't really heard much else. And I understand we're de- dealing with a global pandemic, but it just was weird that there was so much traction. And now I don't really think it's one of his priorities as we approach. Or no, now we're done with his first 100 days. But again, we're we're within his first 100 days, so this is. This is a somewhat indication of where, he, like, his priorities lie, but I also think that it's no true indication in terms of what he can't possibly tackle in the months and years to come. Like, that's not to say that he won't tackle DACA eventually or hopefully within the n- near future. Good no. disclaimer, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. I just, again, and just to clarify, the first 100 days are your priorities, and it just wasn't as high as it had been touted on the campaign trail and within right. the Democratic Party. And I will say this, that is just my opinion. If anyone has any other sources, please guide me to it, because as much as I stay updated on this topic, I feel like I could always learn more. I will say the administration has made it a priority to reunify reunify families and obviously, it's a very difficult task. You know, this, it's, you know, how do you, where do you start? Um, so kudos to them for doing that and, you know, actually getting that ball rolling. Um, unfortunately, I will say that a lot of Republicans have been criticizing Vice President Harris for not actually visiting the border after President Biden had tapped her to 
kind of take control of the entire, you know, border, quote unquote, border crisis that was happening. So I think that's a fair assessment. I do know that that Biden has a set of people. It's like a team um, of senators and legislators that have gone to the border to check out. um, I don't know if you guys saw, but ABC, NBC News and other news organizations saw what it was like to live in one of those um what's it called the detention centers there uh-huh they they had they were they had access to some of the detention centers and they saw how it was like thousands of people when the the max capacity is like 300 or something like that and so these senators were able to see that firsthand on the same token of immigration i want to talk about um social justice issues that the administration has and hasn't tackled um, Biden did sign an executive order in January repealing the Trump era ban on most on transgender Americans from being able to serve in the military. And it's also notable that he has a point uh, he has picked or he has appointed the most racially diverse cabinet in our U.S. history. And I think that is very awesome. A lot of women, a lot of people of color. And I do want to give a shout out to Alejandro Mayorkas for being mm-hmm. the first Latino, first immigrant, and shout out to my fellow Cuban-Americans <laughs> in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, and that's pretty badass. So shout out to awesome. Alejandro. Yes, Representation that, matters so, so, so much. much. I, I so can't much. emphasize that enough. Yeah, I I'm feel getting like... getting goosebumps just talking about it. I'm like, yes. I feel like you can't tackle issues without having people inside the communities who know firsthand what those issues are. So I do think that laying these priorities out, maybe he can't, maybe the Biden administration hasn't tackled everything that they said they wanted to do, but they have definitely staffed or selected a key team that can help address different aspects of American society. And I think that's where we'll see a lot of the changes or a lot of the efforts because I didn't even know about half of these cabinet positions until the media, quote unquote, was talking about the first this, the first that, one of the first women, one of the first Hispanics, the first Native American. I just love that. And it's bringing attention to different sides of politics too that people may have not been familiar with or people who belong to those communities suddenly feel more engaged. So Mm -hmm. I think also that was just a very strategic way to approach issues without having it fall on solely like, the president and VP shoulders. Yeah. And a, a little disclaimer on that too. Um, I see a lot of people on social media talk about how, oh, so we're just appointing and electing people just for the sake of diversity, just for the sake of having a minority up there. And I just want to clarify that all of these people are qualified. It's just that it's the yes. first time in history that a minority or a female representative is on such a high pedestal so to speak so it's not that these people just came out of thin air and are not qualified whatsoever these people are very qualified they're good at what they do and they were chosen for a reason on the short end of social justice issues i will say that the administration i'm gonna i'm sort of frowning upon it because i thought it would have been good they're standing the administration is standing down from creating a national police oversight commission and instead, they're kind of just shifting to legislative measures, the George Floyd and Policing Act that, you know, they're trying to get through the Senate and helping that. But in reality, you know, legislative measures are obviously the way to go, but he just doesn't have the numbers in the Senate. So I think maybe having this in, in tandem and creating a National Police Oversight Committee Commission would have been, you know, good. But several civil rights 
civil rights organizations have said that it would have been a little too slow. It would have taken months to establish and produce a report and, you know, it, and be effective. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I think it could have, it wouldn't have hurt anybody if he had made that sort of commission. Just, just my, just me being picky, but you know. No, and I agree. And I want to mention that you shouldn't do things just because you can't act quickly. Like one of my biggest frustrations when it comes to politics and the issues is that people forget change is mm -hmm. slow. Change is extremely slow. Imagine how long, like most of our elected officials campaign at least a year ahead of time before their election. Then they have to understand what the job is, inherit what it, whatever the last person had to do and either make it work or figure out how to undo or play upon it. So especially with these, with this first 100 days, personally, I wasn't expecting a whole lot of change or a whole lot to be done because most of it, since it's a different party, I was expecting most of undoing whatever the previous administration right. had done. Which we've seen a lot of, too. I think it's very evident that he's reversed a lot of Trump policies. I agree. And I feel like that kind of is what I don't want to call it a time waster. But, you know, like he didn't pick up where the other one left off. It was more of a, OK, let me review what needs to be in his opinion, undone and start doing that. And then one of the major critiques about Biden is that he's so he's criticized for being a moderate Democrat or for being part for being partisan. And then the other side criticizes or his own party criticizes him for being too bipartisan. So I guess like we have a saying in news that if you're being ridiculed from one side and ridiculed from the other, that means great, you're absolutely neutral. So it kind of feels like this applies for Joe Biden as president as well, if the Republicans are accusing him of being too partisan, as in sticking to the Democrats' agenda too much, and the Democrats, some of them accusing him for being too bipartisan and caring too much what conservatives say, it kind of means that he's probably governing okay, that he's letting people take their own legislative measures and not, again, as I mentioned earlier, whipping out executive orders. But it just means that change is going to be slower because he's trusting this process and I don't think has a very firm hand in pushing his agenda or pushing to get the results that he said he was going to bring. On that note, Gabby, I think that definitely he came in with the message of uniting the nation and bringing that bipartisanship to back to DC, but and you we we talked about that infrastructure bill and his administration and his team is really making an effort to reach across the aisle and meeting we with you know Republican senators and how can what can we do to you know put, uh, vote for this bill, but he's facing a lot of opposition and I think at the end of the day he's gonna push a lot of legislation without Republican support, even though he is trying for that bipartisanship. I don't know how much it's going to be there realistically, but very, very noteworthy to mention that he is at least trying. And going back to uh, what Manny had said about systemic racism, not a lot has been done about that, uh, beginning with criminal justice reform. And that's also been a, a critique or a criticism, especially with everything going on with George Floyd, the trial and everything. Uh, Biden said he wanted to reverse Trump policies on college investigations of violence against women because we're starting to see that becoming more of a prominent thing with assaults and rape cases. So just something else that's been out there. And again, not much has been done. Again, these are just the first 100 days, but 
obviously racism is such a big topic and very evident across the country. So this is definitely something that people will continue to keep an eye out for change. So I also want to mention that we have to remember that when an elected official is running, there's a lot of time. Like think about from when we were watching debates to where we resulted. Like I think we had like 18 people vying for um, the Democratic presidential ticket. And funny enough, a lot of them are actually part of his administration or like backing Biden. So it's interesting to see your competition become your friend. But a lot of it national issues and social issues popped up in between then. So maybe what he had as a priority thinking coming into the White House had to be shifted just because of the climate in America, no pun intended. But it's I just don't want to say like it's almost too nitpicky to say his first 100 days, yes, define his priorities, but to a certain degree, he had to inherit what the country wanted to be prioritized. For instance, the pandemic. I don't think when he was first thinking, and this isn't his first go at president, just ha- it just so happens to be the time that he wins the White House. He never had a priority of public health, I'm sure. That mm-hmm. wasn't like at the top of his list, but because he inherited the country and the state that it was in, yes, he had to make some shifts on his list. And again, George Floyd, his death, the Derek Chauvin trial, which now he has been convicted for George Floyd's murder, that all developed in the time, not while he was sitting in the White House, but even before then. So I'm just highlighting that it, you have to remember that priorities are just as much ours as they are his. And I think that also comes with the title of being president, right? It's your, you have to be up for the job, whatever comes your way, whatever's thrown at you, and you have to be flexible enough to, to be a leader and to, yeah, to, to just, lead your country in in the best way that you can. We mentioned earlier that Biden's infrastructure bill was tackling climate, but his administration has also done several things to address climate change and its importance. So within his first 100 days, Biden's administration hosted a virtual world summit on climate. And during this summit, he proposed to cut U.S. emissions between 50 to 52% below 2005 levels by 2030. That means within the next years, he wants to cut emissions to what they were back in 2005, which is very, very ambitious. And I don't know if he was just, you know, saying it to say it. He was doing the talk, you know, can he actually walk the walk is now what I'm going to be looking out for. He, we also rejoined the uh, Paris Climate Accord and he recently signed an executive order in January revoking the permit for the Keystone Pipeline and halted any development in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So again, I'm just going to emphasize that a lot of people aren't really behind climate change. Like I can't say that it's their like number one issue to care about. Reduce, reuse, recycle everyone. But there's a lot more efforts that you can do. Since he knows the his audience, every all of his climate change proposals or a lot of the verbiage that goes with it is that this green idea and these new efforts are going to create jobs. They're going to provide more for people. They're going to be good for the future. So I think that's very smart how they're making it an economic plan as much as a climate change plan. The only opposition that I've heard with regard to that from the Republican side is that it sounds too much of like 
social democratic socialism and i don't i personally don't understand how but i just know that that's like a rhetoric that aoc has been pushing since she's been in office and i just think that's interesting that i guess every time that you think of the green new deal you you associate that with that another issue that i think we would be remiss if we don't address because i feel like it's plagued a lot of our generation is guns school shootings Mm -hmm. the right to bear arms the second amendment all of those things that for whatever reason people have very strong opinions over yes and everything related to gun control and gun reform at the moment is incomplete from the biden administration um in terms of you know he talked about wanting to close loopholes in the gun background check system that obviously hasn't been done yet he wanted to repeal and, and just so our listeners know, these ghost guns are basically firearms that don't have serial numbers, so they can't be traced. Right. Um, and so they're often purchased without a background check. So he kind of wants to close that loophole. Mm-hmm. And and even like, you know, buying these guns at like a Walmart, for example, like all you need is a credit card and to be 18 years old and, and you're done. Like there's no license if you're even trained on how to use it or like what you're going to be using it for. Um, He also talked about wanting to repeal the liability protection for gun manufacturers, allowing people to sue members of the gun industry if a gun is used in a crime, for example. I think an important piece of legislation or a point that he made um, is regarding the Violence Against Women Act. So for my feminists out there, you may be familiar with this. But it was basically a Bill Clinton era bill and Biden was actually in the Senate when this was pushed through. And what it does is that it keeps guns from domestic abusers. So right now some states have laws, but essentially if you have a history of domestic abuse, in most cases, you're allowed to own a gun. So that could endanger someone, their ex-significant other, estranged wife or husband. It can mean that like it's putting other people's lives in danger, but from last check, the House passed this bill again, reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act to make sure that domestic abusers cannot purchase a gun. But it was it was reversed a few years back because they said that it infringed upon Second Amendment rights. But Biden, during a debate, said that he was going to make this a priority and at minimum make sure that people with a history of domestic abuse wouldn't be allowed to purchase a gun, but that still doesn't stand. And technically, the legislation's already there. I want to, talking back to what we were saying about, you know, what the administration comes into, this administration faces a huge uphill battle with any sort of gun control. And even when he was as, when he was vice president, he was tapped with creating, you know, gun, some form of gun control legislation after Sandy Hook, and it didn't Mm -hmm. pass. The entire country after that was like, after innocent children died. And if no one is going to have the empathy to pass gun legislation, what what is, you know, like what comes after that? What is going to shift anyone's heart or mind to pass legislation after innocents have been killed, especially children? So I think legislative measures is going to be the push at the end of the day. How much she's going to be able to do that is very difficult, you know, as just president. Um, one way that he is trying to tackle gun control is by appointing a former gun control activist as head of the ATF, and that's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. 
And over the decades, the National Rifle Association, which is a gun rights lobbying lobbying group, has weakened this organization to really serve its purpose, which is to, you know, control and monitor the buying of guns and where they're bought. And, you know, just like any other, think of this like any other bureau, like the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is a bureau with it with agents. And, you know, there's civilian agents and there are, you know, agents with guns and shield uh, badges. Um, so kind of think of it that way where this body of, con- you know, oversees that. And over the years, it's just been very weakened where it doesn't really serve that purpose anymore. So I think he has, I think he's trying to bring back this, this part of the executive government um, by appointing a gun rights activist and his nominee, his nominee hasn't been approved by the Senate yet. And if it does get approved, it's going to be by a very slim margin. So it's going to be very interesting if, and when he gets approved, um, confirmed, I'm sorry. And what he'll do with the, the bureau. And again, this is gun reform. This isn't banning guns. This isn't, you know, for those who are very adamant about their amendment rights, this isn't taking away your rights. This is just merely focusing on being a little stricter on background checks and being stricter on, you know, who exactly is purchasing these guns. So it's not 17 year olds wanting to shoot up a school because we see that again and again and it hasn't just been in recent years again it hasn't been during just the trump era or obama it's been happening since i don't know how long but it's been progressively worse and that's what's scary that kids nowadays when they hear an alarm at school they automatically assume that there's a shooter and that you know they they're gonna die like that's that's horrible I can't even fathom that. I can't I can't picture my non-born kid like freaking out in school if this were to happen to to him or her. Like that's just crazy to me. And again, just to emphasize, it's just mostly a lot of we say gun control, but I think that's just kind of the phrase um coined to it, but it's accountability and making sure that whoever does have a weapon that could put a deadly weapon Um, there is some sort of accountability if they were to misuse it or to hurt others. Because as we've all seen, it's very an accidental firing. There may not always be consequences. So if you don't properly know how to use or store a gun, um, there's not a whole lot of consequences to that. So at minimum to know who has a gun, why they have it, or sometimes not even that, but if they're allowed to have one. And I think Personally, like that's going to be, as Manny said, it's going to be very tough to tackle because you want people to have their right at the end of the day to purchase what they want. We don't limit a lot of other purchases, but we do want to make sure that lives are being protected as people may intend to with these weapons. Moving forward from these 100 days, gun reform is definitely one of the things I'm going to be looking out for. Police reform and something very important, I think, investments into education, what's going to be done with student loans, and how do we better access higher education for everyone? What about you guys? What are you guys are going to, what are you guys, what's on your alert the next three years of Biden's administration? Four years. I would be intrigued to see like how we're going to handle healthcare post the pandemic, because right now all we've thought about was the pandemic, the coronavirus. 
but there's still a lot to be done in terms of healthcare, like research, science, making sure that public health is well-funded. I will not be surprised of all the public health bills that are going to be pushed after all of this to make sure that we're better prepared if something like this were ever to happen again. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm keeping a close eye on immigration because the border crisis, as they Mm -hmm. call it, has been kind of up and down and fluid. Like it hasn't really gone away, but it makes extra headlines. And if you're following any news in Central or South America, things are kind of turbulent. So I'm intrigued to see how that's going to develop over time because I get it. We can't accept everyone and welcome everyone into our borders, but we can't house them in Mexico inhumanely for a while either. So let's see how that go trickles out. And remember, within the next four years, there's like some senators can flip seats. Same thing with the House. Like there's still going to be elections. So we may not have, not we, but the Democrats may not have a majority the entire time. Gabby, you took the words right out of my mouth. And I, <laughs> I was going to say that. I was like, one thing that I'm looking forward is the 2020, 2022 midterm elections because the House All may right. flip to Republican control. The Senate currently has a very slim margin. So those two years following 2022, you know, Biden might be seeing a lot of opposition in Congress and he's not going to be able to pass maybe nothing to end, no no, no legislation, you know? Yes. And I think the Republicans are going to come back with a vengeance. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's something to keep an eye on as well. Like who's running and why and what do their qualifications sound like? So you thought all the politics would be done like this. Don't bring it up at the dinner table, but it's definitely a topic that's not going away anytime soon. I think I speak for a lot of people in terms of just being tired of all the back and forth nonsense. I think at the end of the day, all we really want is real representation and real stuff getting passed that will benefit Americans at the end of the day. So hopefully we do get stuff done. And hopefully whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whoever is elected into office, they honestly do their job because that's why they're elected to do their job. If at the end of the day, all they're doing is fighting and all of these filibusters and not passing anything for the sake of, you know, of being aligned with their party at the end of the day, that doesn't do anything. Make sure you guys are registered and able to vote in the next midterm elections and make sure your voice is heard. And with that, you know, we kind of sped through these first 100 days, but don't worry, there's at least like a thousand more. So keep an eye out for all the new developments or just listen to us because we'll break it. We'll break down all the complex stuff for you. And here's your reminder. Don't bring this up at the dinner table. (laughs) 